This morning we're going to step away from our study of the book of James in order to step around the Lord's table. So with that in mind, I ask for you to take a copy of God's word, turn to the gospel according to John chapter 6. Once you've found your place in sacred scripture, please stand out of reverence to the public reading of God's holy word. This morning, I want to read in your hearing John chapter 6, verses 35 to 51. I want to preach to you a message that's entitled, More Than Enough. More Than Enough. John chapter 6, allow me to begin at verse 35. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. He who believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me and still you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. Whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. For I've come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all that he has given me but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life, and I will raise Him up at the last day. At this, the Jews began to grumble about Him because He said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can He now say, I came down from heaven? Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who listens to the Father and learns from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. I tell you the truth, he who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your forefathers ate the manna in the desert, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. May God add his richest blessing to the reading, preaching, understanding, and obedience of his perfect word. You may be seated. Jesus was a masterful communicator. He could say more in one off-the-cuff statement than you and I can say in a lifetime. Take, for example... The passage I just read for you. On two occasions, Jesus says emphatically to the crowd, I am the bread of life. That may not sound very profound to you. To be honest with you, it might not sound all that significant, maybe even subtle. But Jesus knew exactly what he was saying. In that first century, the statement, I am the bread of life 
in the ears of the first century audience would be as subtle as if a wrecking ball came flying through this sanctuary. If we witnessed a wrecking ball coming through this sanctuary, no one would describe the experience as that was subtle. When Jesus says, I am the bread of life, he is a wrecking ball that is, that is plowing through the life of Judaism, that is plowing through all religion, that is plowing through all of human history. Jesus makes no bones about it, mixes no words. He emphatically says, I am the bread of life. This is the first of seven I am statements in the gospel of John. Later, Jesus will say, not only I am the bread of life, he'll also say, I am the light of the world. I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. I am resurrection and life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the vine. On seven occasions, Jesus lays claim to his divinity by speaking messianic metaphors. These seven statements reveal the divinity of Jesus and everybody listening to Jesus in the first century knew that he was claiming to be God. You may believe that Jesus is God. You may not believe that Jesus is God. But regardless, you have to know that Jesus believed himself to be God. And Jesus emphatically said, I am the bread of life. He is saying, I am God, not a God, another God, a lesser God, creation God, or merely like God. He is saying, I am God. He's using the language that's reserved for God and God alone. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Jesus could have spoken that two-word phrase, I am, in a couple of different ways. But he used divine rhetoric. He used the vocabulary of God. The first time God spoke this language is in Exodus chapter 3. Some of you might know the story. Moses was minding his own business when he was shepherding the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, on the backside of Mount Horeb, elsewhere called Mount Sinai, sometimes in the Bible, just simply called the mountain of God. It's there where Moses, the seasoned shepherd, saw a bush that was on fire but was not being consumed. The fact that a bush was on fire in the hot Palestinian climate was not all that surprising. Moses is a seasoned shepherd. He's seen instant combustion. He's seen uh, shrubs that catch on fire, blaze for a few seconds, and then go out. What was significant about this day and this moment is that Moses saw a bush that was on fire, but it wasn't being consumed. The fire was continuing to blaze. And when this caught the attention of Moses, he went over to take a closer look. And from within that bush, God spoke. Take off your sandals, for you're standing on holy ground. Now, Moses had never seen a bush on fire that wasn't being consumed. And he definitely had never seen a bush on fire not being consumed and the voice of God come from that bush. So he immediately took off his sandals because he knew that this was no ordinary day. God was speaking to him. God continued the conversation I have seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard the cry, crying out and the groaning of the Israelites, and I am concerned about them. 
Moses must have thought to himself, well, that's great. It's about time. They've been down there for several hundred years. It's about time for you to take note of what's going on with our people, your people. But what does that have to do with me? The Lord said to Moses, I want you to go down and declare to Pharaoh, let God's people go. It's at this moment of receiving the God-sized task that Moses began to offer up puny human excuses. It's at this moment that I begin to look like Moses. And maybe there are times you look like Moses. The Lord tells you to do something and the only thing you can offer up to him is a puny excuse of why you're not able or you're not worthy to do the task that God has tapped you to do. So Moses begins by saying, I'm too old. He's 80 years old. His life is two-thirds over. He's probably saying, I've got back aches. I've got knee pains. I've got aches and pains every single morning. I'm just too old. Why don't you get somebody younger to go down to Pharaoh and confront him? What's interesting is that the excuse of age never sets well with the ancient of days. Moses continued. He said, well, if the age thing isn't going to get me off the hook, then maybe the fact that I have a stuttering problem. And when I get nervous, I really stutter badly. And so if I go down there and I gain an audience with Pharaoh, I will stumble and stagger all over the words. I will fumble it up and I will just mess up the entire experience. So God, you might as well just call somebody who's far more eloquent than me because I've got a stuttering problem. And God must have thought to himself, listen, man. I made the world just by speaking it into existence. If I can do all that, don't you think I can speak through your stuttering tongue? And then Moses thought, well, here's the ace of spades. What if I go down there and your people ask the question, what is the name of the God that sent you to us? What do I say then? If they ask for your name, what am I supposed to tell them? It's in this moment that the Lord says to Moses, you tell them, I am sent me to you. I am. It's the Hebrew name Yahweh. I am. It's the name for God. It's, it communicates that God is the one who always has been, always is, and always will be. It's, it's, it's communication that God is in the perpetual state of isness. I know it's bad grammar, but it's great theology. That God never is antiquated. That God never is too far in the future. That the one who created, uh, time, space, and matter, who stands outside time, space, and matter, always operates in the moment. He is the God who always has perpetual isness. I am sent me to you. All throughout the ages, the Jewish people would not even voice this name. They wouldn't say it. Whenever they came across it in sacred script, they would just be quiet. They would not say it. And then Jesus burst onto the scene. This rebel rousing rabbi from Galilee, Jesus comes and he routinely and he frequently says, I am. He uses language that's reserved for God. The Pharisees thought he was hijacking divine rhetoric. And Jesus routinely says, I am. In John's gospel, he communicates seven times that number of completion and totality. He communicates seven times, I am. 
And here he says, I am the bread of life. He says this not once, but twice in our passage. He who comes to me will not be hungry. He who believes in me will not thirst. I am the bread of life. I came to do the will of the Father. What is the will of the Father? That all those that are given to me, I will not drive away. All those given to me, I will raise up on the last day. Whoever believes in me, that I am, whoever believes in me, Jesus says, will have eternal life. I am the bread of life. Oh, what does Jesus mean when he says, I am the bread of life? There are two pretty awesome bread stories in the Bible. One's in the Old Testament, the other one's in the New Testament. The one that's in the Old Testament is referenced by Jesus in verse 49 of our passage. Your forefathers ate manna in the desert. Once again, some of you may remember the story that eventually Moses did go down. He did gain an audience with Pharaoh and he said, let God's people go. After several plagues, eventually... Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, said like a New York cab driver, get out of here. Eventually, all the Israelites got out of Egypt. They got to the Red Sea with the raging water in front of them, Pharaoh and his army behind them, because Pharaoh realized, I just released several million of the working class in Egypt. Who's going to do all the work now? And so he ordered for the chariots to follow after them and to retrieve them. They got to the Red Sea and it's God who parted the Red Sea so the Israelites could cross on dry ground. And once the Egyptians got into the Red Sea, God caused the water to collapse upon them. And all the Israelites said, yay, God, way to go. You've liberated us from Egypt and you rescued us from the Red Sea. You would think they would say, we'll never forget you. You're so good to us. You're so great to us. We will always serve you wholeheartedly. But they had not been in the desert very many days when they began to grumble. Why did they grumble? That's what people do. They grumbled against their leader, Moses. Why did they grumble against their leader, Moses? Because that's what people do. They grumbled against Moses. They grumbled against God. They said to Moses, Moses, when we were in Egypt, at least we had food to spare. You brought us out to this desert and we're going to die. Moses goes to God and says, can you help a brother out, please? Can you provide us with something? The next morning they woke up and right there on the ground next to the dew, There was a grainy, flaky substance. The Israelites walked out. They asked the question, what is it? In the Hebrew language, the word what is it is manna. They're simply asking the question, what is that on the ground? It's manna. What are we going to call it? Let's just call it what is it? It's manna. It is sent from God. It is bread from heaven. And every morning they walked out. And every morning they had that grainy, flaky substance on the ground. They would gather it, they would grind it, they would bake it. It was their bread for the day. And God told them, only take as much today as you need because tomorrow I'll supply you with new bread. And if they got greedy and took too much, the excess that they took began to rot away. Just this grainy, flaky substance. I've oftentimes likened it to this is God's frosted flakes. They're great. And so this is frosted flakes that God has given to his people. 
And every day he supplied what they needed. This story went down in folklore. The Israelites said, our God supplied us every day. He supplied us with what we needed. He sustained us every single day in the desert. Every day we woke up and there was the manna on the ground. It was just enough for what we needed. Every single day, God supplied this for us for years and years and years because bread from heaven came down and we were sustained. When Jesus says, I am the bread of life, He is saying to the crowd that I am the real bread that never stales. I am the real bread that never molds. I am the real bread that never uh, deteriorates. I am the bread of life. Your forefathers ate manna in the desert and they died because it sustained them only for the little time. I have come to sustain you for all of eternity. I am the bread of life because Jesus is communicating to the crowd. I'm the savior who sustains. I told you there are two bread stories. The other one is in the New Testament. This mighty, massive bread story is the feeding of the 5,000. All four gospel writers include it in their narrative. Outside the resurrection of Jesus, it's the only other miracle that you find in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Some miracles you read of in one gospel or other miracles are two gospels. There are some miracles that are found in three gospels, but the only miracle outside the resurrection of Christ that's found in all four gospels is the feeding of the 5,000. John begins what we call chapter six by his rendering of the feeding of the 5,000. When it gets to our passage, it's the next day. The next day, the crowd comes back out. And Jesus begins to blast them. The only reason you're here, Jesus says, is because your stomachs were filled yesterday. You're coming just because you think I'm a free meal ticket. You're coming just because you think I'm Medicare and Medicaid. Just because I have helped your family members, just because I've healed your sick, just because I've restored sight to the blind, just because I've enabled the deaf to hear again, just because I fed you with a few loaves and a couple of fish, just because I fed you so that yesterday your stomachs were filled, you're here today because you want another free meal ticket. And Jesus is saying to the crowd, I don't want you to follow me just because of what you can get from me. I want you to follow me because you know who I am. Friend, I wonder, do we follow Jesus just because of the blessings of the Lord? Or do we follow Jesus because we know who he is? That if he did not grant us one more blessing, we would still adamantly follow after him. Jesus is telling the crowd I am so much more than a hospital and a food pantry. I am so much more than somebody to just help you when you're sick and feed you when you're hungry. I am more than this. The only reason you're here today, Jesus says to the crowd, is because yesterday I filled your stomachs and today you're coming again. I need to tell you, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. When he says that not once but twice, he's emphatically saying that he is the Savior not only who sustains but he's also the savior who satisfies. 
He's the only one who can satisfy the hungering of our soul. He's the only one who can satisfy the thirsting of our spirit. He's the only one who can satisfy the gnawing reality of our sin. He's the only one who can satisfy so that we are no longer condemned in the sight of God. He is the one who satisfies. Bread is a staple of any diet, especially the Palestinian diet. And Jesus is saying as bread is a staple of diet so you can live. So I am the staple of your life so you can live both now and forevermore. I am the bread of life. I am the Savior who sustains and satisfies. So my friend, what does it look like when a person knows that Jesus is the bread of life? What does it look like in just ordinary ways, tangible ways, ways we can touch, ways we can see and feel? What does it look like in your life For you to say that Jesus is the bread of life. Let me give you a few illustrations that hopefully prove the point. The cancer patient who copes with chemotherapy by listening to the songs of the faith. That person knows that Jesus is the bread of life. The parents who have a peace that passes all understanding as their son is wheeled away into surgery, not because they have confidence in the earthly physician, even though the earthly physician is an expert. No, their confidence is in the great physician, the Lord Jesus himself. Friend, those parents, they know that Jesus is the bread of life. It's the Wife slash mom, who oftentimes feels overwhelmed and underappreciated. Yet every day, she wakes up and she prays for her husband. And she prays diligently for her children. Beloved, that woman knows that Jesus is the bread of life. It's the middle-aged man who is clinging to Christ, even though everything around him is falling apart. His marriage is not where it needs to be. He's got a fear that he might lose his job in the near future. He's got the suspicion that his teenage daughter is promiscuous with that deadbeat boyfriend. He doesn't know exactly what to do. He doesn't know how to stop his life going out of control. Yet every day, he just clings to Christ. Friend, that man knows that Jesus is the bread of life. It's the teenager who has made the vow for purity. Even though she lives in a culture that is very compromising, Yet she has said, I'm going to keep myself until my wedding day. Friend, that that young teenager knows that Jesus is the bread of life. It's the senior adult man. He knows that he's in the twilight years of life. He has more years in the rearview mirror than years ahead of him. 
And even though he knows that death is right around the corner, he doesn't fear it. Because he knows to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. Friend, that man knows that Jesus is the bread of life. You understand what I'm saying? These are ordinary, everyday experiences. Just run-of-the-mill, everyday kind of occurrences where men and women, brothers and sisters, declare with their lips and their lives that Jesus is the Savior who sustains and satisfies because Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Do you hear the wrecking ball that comes flying through the heart and mind? When Jesus declares who he is, for anyone to come to him, they will not be driven away. Anybody who comes to him by faith, he welcomes them in his sight and he gives the promise that they will have eternal life, which must imply that on that last day, he will raise you up from the dead. If you're going to have eternal life, not even death can stop your life. And so Jesus said on numerous occasions, I will raise him up. How can Jesus say that? Because at the end of life, after about 33 years on planet earth, it is Jesus who had a cross beam strapped to his back and he began to stagger through the streets of Jerusalem and he took the whipping that you and I deserved. He took the punishment for our sins. He was taken up a skull-shaped hill called Golgotha. They stretched him wide. They raised him high. They pierced him in his wrist and his feet and his side, puncturing his forehead with a crown of thorns. And Jesus declared, it is finished. Bowed his head, gave up his ghost, and he died. They took his dead body off the cross, placed him into a borrowed tomb. And on the third day, the Ancient of Days got up again. On the third day, the one who'd been slain was resurrected. Jesus said, I will raise you up on the last day. Why? Because I have raised myself up on the third day so Jesus says I am the bread of life the person who knows that understands that he's the savior who sustains and satisfies friend if you know this Jesus who sustains and satisfies then you are invited to this table if you're a baptized believer in the Lord then Jesus invites you to come. He wants today to nestle up beside you. He wants to talk with you as you feast on him by faith. As you take this bread, as you take this cup, Jesus wants to minister to you. He is the host of the table. He's the maitre d'. He's the server. He's the one who helps us in our time of need. So this morning, let us declare that Jesus is the bread of life. For he is the Savior who sustains and satisfies. Heavenly Father, we bow before you. We give you this time of gathering around the table. Lord, we pray that you will speak truth into us, encourage us where we need to be encouraged, correct us where we need to be corrected. Father, minister to us in our moment of need as we take the bread and take the cup. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.